I think like most composers, uh, I fell in love with with video games and with with films early on. Um, I have early memories back when I was five or six, um, just sitting in front of the TV for hours and uh, playing games for hours. And the soundtracks really compelled me. And there was something really special about that. And I started playing piano at around the age of six. I didn't start taking lessons till seven. And the story behind that was uh, my parents actually heard me they thought it was another one of my brothers actually practicing piano, but I, by ear, was actually playing their music because I just naturally had this uh, ability to, to pick up and play what I heard. I had no idea what that meant or what careers would come from that, but um, all I knew is I really wanted to learn piano because it was this opportunity to get all these tunes in my head that I keep hearing and put them down. And so I took some piano lessons and kind of fast forward several years in middle school time around age 11, um, I started writing music for the first time um, in the style of video game music, of course. And I definitely had this draw towards this particular sound and was super inspired by um, the Legend of Zelda series and uh, the Mario series. Really, Koji Kondo is probably my number one most based biggest influence but then also on the film side of john williams and the big traditional soundtracks um i wasn't really really into film at that time uh but basically just kind of fast forward some more i had this inclination to want to pick up more instruments and piano was definitely my my number one instrument at the time but then i wanted to start playing violin because i wanted something that was portable i wanted to uh kind of emote in a different way and because I always heard strings and my favorite scores. And then in high school, I wanted to take that one step further. So I learned uh, how to sing in chorus and then picked up acoustic guitar because I, again, I wanted to uh, just have more options to get these sounds out that were stuck in my head. And I wanted to start recording them. And high school was a really big turning point for me uh, because I had to make that decision of what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Uh, particularly with college and that kind of thing. Um, so I decided at that point I wanted to uh, go to college to study piano um, because I loved performing and it was such a, a passion for me. And so I studied really hard in those years and uh, eventually uh, went up to Kennesaw State University um, in Kennesaw, Georgia. And there, uh, during that time period, I was starting to experiment with the recording side. And I was so broke, uh, broke college kid, broke high school kid that mm -hmm. uh, I had the cheapest of the cheap PC laptop and Fruity Loops, I think, and uh, just the cheapest of the cheap with notation software and that kind of thing. And I just wanted to learn. I just wanted to experiment. I didn't care. Um, I wasn't looking to make a living out of this. I just wanted to write music and, and let it sound cool. And so I, I have these memories of uh, with video game music in particular, that's what I really wanted to get into. So I started experimenting with chip sounds and with these old 8-bit type sounds and electronic sounds and using just the default plugins within Pro Tools and that kind of thing, just experimenting with it. And uh, early college, as I was pursuing piano, uh, I decided, you know what, I really want to learn more about this composition thing. So um, I started taking composition lessons just as an additional course study. Mm -hmm. uh, private lessons. And it was really funny because, uh, at that time at, at Kennesaw, they wouldn't let you take uh, composition lessons until you were a junior. And I was a freshman and I said, I'm going to prove my way. And so I went and wrote a bunch Every, of music. Everyone knows freshmen can't compose. Come exactly. On. You know? exactly. Something magical happens when you hit that junior year where you just get the composer gene, you exactly. know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so who knows what that's all about, but, uh, at that time, I, I was determined, okay, this is my time to make it and to, to really try this. Um, and so I wrote a bunch, bunch of pieces, but they were all video game type pieces. And this is a classical awesome. academic institution. Um, so right away, uh, I actually did make it into the program. And I, I don't know if I was the first one to ever get in that young, but um, they saw that I had some talent in this, but no direction and no guidance whatsoever. So maybe I was a pity project. I don't know. Uh, but they <laughs> took me in and uh, it was a really interesting experience because for the first time I had I had actually never met a composer in my entire life up until college. Wow. And the days when I talked to high school students and to middle school students, they're like, oh, yeah, I know this person, this person, this person. I, I mean, this was not that long ago, but still, it's just crazy how much uh, culture has changed and how much composition has actually become a viable career. Mm. And 
the more opportunities that there are through technology. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it is. And to make an even longer story short, I suppose, uh, throughout college, I decided, hey, oh, no, my uh, sorry, my video is being lagging, isn't it? It is. It's frozen, but it's quite all right. It's better now. Whatever. Just it's, all, it's all good. I was just going to use me. I was going to I was going to use the audio. It's no no problem. That's fine. Didn't OK, want, cool. didn't want to break your flow. That's cool. That's cool. Um, so in college, I decided, hey, I want to get better at this composition thing, but I still want to learn more instruments. And so I, I joined the the chorus there, the orchestra. And uh, what else did I do? I did small ensembles and started writing for brass and woodwinds and doing these just weird, interesting experimental type things, seeing how far I could push myself. Also did percussion ensemble for a season because I just wanted to play everything. Um, and I'm super thankful for those experiences because now I have a very strong um, perspective on how to actually write for those individual instruments and how they work in the big ensembles. I had a cool opportunity um, at that point to start writing um, for the very first time for film and video games in actual commercial projects. And those came about... Um, a film just through a, a local friend um, that I had. He was like, hey, you write music. Why don't you try this? Mm -hmm. I said, okay, I love film. Why not? And so that was actually my first feature film. And that was a cool experience because I actually had no money. And so I couldn't, I didn't even have the gear to do it. I just said, yes, I really want to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I remember starting, I uh, had a feature film and I had this really old version of Pro Tools on my PC laptop. And what an experience because when I first started, I took the entire film, chopped every scene up into a different movie file, made a separate session for wow. each of the scenes. And I got through about 10 of these scenes using just really bad VSTs. Uh, I, I didn't have anything. It was just like the free junk you could get. I love, by the way, I love how you say PC laptop with such contention in your voice. You're just like, oh, back in I had that. PC <laughs> laptop. <laughs> I completely understand. Oh, it was a PC laptop. Let's just be specific here. Anyway, exactly. continue. <laughs> oh man, so it gave me a lot of heartache. Uh, looking back, the things I, I put myself through, the amount of time I spent editing, like the videos to just to throw them in, and just to be able to score one little scene, it's pretty remarkable that I finished this movie. But the cool part of this story. He's like, I got about 10 scenes in. And I said, you know what? I wonder if I were to ask the director, instead of paying me for this job, what if he just buys me the gear I need to actually do it faster? Hmm. He said, maybe it'll work. And sure enough, wow. it did. And so he actually bought me an iMac. And it's actually the same computer I still use today. Wow. Um, so this was back in 2010. Wow. Um, it's on its last leg. It's about to die. And so funny you mentioned the PC thing because I'm actually about to transition to a PC, which is hilarious um, really? because I've gotten so much more into the video game space. Um, right. So much with you, the PC. You need it with the hardware and stuff to be able to yep. run that stuff. Yeah, that makes yep. sense. So there's coming a time where I'll probably have to mix the two worlds uh, mm -hmm. a bit more than I already do. Sure. Uh, but anyway, so it's just that was a big turning point for me where, oh, my gosh, someone actually wants to pay me to write music. And they're going to pay me a lot, in this case, an entire machine, plus uh, better samples and this kind of stuff. Right. So I don't know how I negotiated all that, but he probably just felt sorry for me. Uh, but at the same time, he probably said, you know what? If he can double the time it takes him, not having to chop up every scene and throw it into Pro Tools on a PC laptop, right? Sure, it's, sure. it's just uh, that ended up being a really cool uh, collaboration there. And I actually got to do some more short films with that director. Um, but well, I love how you um, I think that's a, there's a lesson there is just you didn't see dollar signs, but you said, how can I invest in my business? Right. Because that is an investment. It's like I don't get the money up front, but I get these tools to make the future productions easier. And I think uh, a, a lesser man, so to speak, might say, oh, just give me the cash. You know what I mean? Like I'm strapped for cash. There's, everyone needs cash. But I think that's cool that you were like. Um, no, I'm going to, I'm going to put this right back into the composition business, so to speak. So I think, I think there's definitely a lesson there. Yeah. And it's funny that at that time, this was about seven years ago now, at that time, I guess it was funny. I, I was studying to become a piano performer, professional performer, yet I had this idea, you know what, 
I'm doing this degree, but I'm really, I'm starting to become a composer. I'm just doing it in a traditional way uh, because there wasn't a composition program at the school. So I was kind of doing it the best way I knew how, becoming the best pianist I could so that I could later turn those skills into composing, which has actually benefited me greatly in, in the arranging world as well. Um, it's just funny how it all comes full circle. Have you even answered the question yet? Probably not. You have, yeah. No, I, the the question was just kind of how you got in, how you got interested in music, but also just how you got to the point where you are now, where it's like your full time thing. And I think that gateway of having that friend was like a key milestone in your career. Of this guy's given me a chance, and I'm being prudent with the the money that he's giving me by investing that back into the the composing business. Um, I would love to hear about fast forward almost to today of like, okay, you have all these different arms of your, of your musical presence. You have your coaching, you have, um, obviously your freelance composition. Um, you have your course on Udemy, which is awesome. And, uh, so how did you get to that point? Like, obviously it, it seems to me when I look at your stuff that you have some business knowledge it, it could just be from like, you know, school of hard knocks which is often the best place to learn business stuff but i'm interested to know kind of how you how you make a living doing all of those things great question um honestly where i am today is a result of necessity it's a result of me going really hardcore after one avenue and realizing that at that point in time i couldn't make enough to be fully sustainable Mm-hmm. Um, and then I try a different route. And then once I try the second route, I come to the same conclusion, but then realize, oh, wait, there's still projects, there's still clients, there's still passion mm-hmm. to do the first thing. And then before you know it, you have 10 income streams just based on passive material uh, being courses and things that where I create a material or stock music libraries where I'm selling music and it's it's passive. I don't I do it once and it's done. Um, and those are little checks that come in every month. Sure. Uh, royalties, et cetera. But then on the other side, there's, I have this deep passion to write music, but also love arranging music. I love performing music and then I love teaching music. Mm-hmm. And so it's this whole, uh, package really. Mm-hmm. And, and the more I, I talk with other composers in the industry, it's really become the standard now to wear so many hats. Yeah. I, my business sense is all just a matter of research and study. To be yeah. honest, uh, I'm a big proponent of reading books talk about that a lot of how um, in society right now we have this idea that you can learn everything from videos and uh, I love videos and I think it's it's very useful um, but it's, it's important to read it's important to uh, to learn the exact subjects you need to from masters absolutely proven it um, and I like you mentioned, I can teach my own personal business experience, but at the end of the day, it's only my experience and it's my limited experience that worked for me. Mm-hmm. And some of it's applicable for other people, but ultimately you're going to have to pave your own path in this industry. If you're yeah. going to do entertainment because technology improves so fast and is moving so fast that, um, the advice I give today is completely different than five years ago mm-hmm. because of every thing has changed. Uh, so it's exciting, but it's also terrifying. Uh, sure. Have you read, have you read deep work by Cal Newport? Uh, I I feel like you would really enjoy that book. Uh, deep work by Cal Newport is, um, it's a book all about how in today's, uh, society, uh, the ability to do undistracted, concentrated work for long periods of time is like a superpower. And he basically says more so than skill, more so than your ability, more so than even talent. It's so hard for people to do undistracted work today because of the connected world we live in. He talks, he, he sort of uh, contrasts it with shallow work where it's like checking email, uh, you know, doing your budget, uh, you know, filling out expense reports. This is things that you could do while you have a show on in the background, but he says deep work, which is the real work that moves the needle forward for you. And that can be like composing that could be writing all these sorts of things is work that's done in solitude and it's done with intense concentration. And, um, I think that that's, that's really cool. That kind of speaks to the, the reading ethic that you were talking about earlier. So, man, this is, this is crazy. So, 
where where do like for me for example or just someone in my position where I'm I'm not I don't I don't really have any musical income streams right now. Um, where do you start? Where where do you where do you work on first? Because you know certain things you make money, and then you put that money towards more things that help you do other musical things, and it, it's hard to know. You mentioned you go down an avenue, you realize okay this is not sustainable. Come back, try another avenue. Yet at it's almost like you leave your flag or your mark in each of these avenues where it's like, I still have some teaching clients, still have some coaching clients, still, you know, et cetera. So where do you start? Like which of those avenues in hindsight do you recommend starting with? I think it completely depends on your end goal. Okay. Um, but I think if I would make a general sweeping statement, I'd say if, if possible, get the passive income streams coming first. Right. Um, that would be your music libraries. So if you want to be a composer, Start writing music. You should already have a portfolio that you're sharing somewhere, either on YouTube or your website or SoundCloud, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, sell that music. License it. Yeah. There are thousands of TV shows and thousands of, of radio broadcasts and podcasts and YouTube videos, whatever. Uh, there are so many opportunities now to just get your music that literally you don't have to do anything. You just put it somewhere. Um, if you don't want to sell it yourself, mm-hmm. you can give a portion of that cut to a company that will. What are some resources that you'd recommend for like monetization of, of your original works? Um, audio jungle is my favorite company for that. Um, especially if you go exclusive with them, you'll actually get a higher percentage. Mm-hmm. And what's cool with them is the more sales you get, the higher your percent climbs because you're making them more money. So they're going to make you more, more money and their marketing is just brilliant. Mm-hmm. And search engine is brilliant. Yeah. Um, an Australian based company in Vado and they have several, uh, sub companies um like theme forest or uh, video hive so content creators go there mm-hmm. and i've talked uh at length with um video creators and bumper video creators and i've, I've done a lot of custom work for those types of films mm-hmm. short etc but those people 99 percent of the time they can't afford a composer yeah and that's okay um we shouldn't be offended by that we just need to understand that mm-hmm. That we're not going to be the person they're going to come to every time. Um, when they can spend five dollars, they can spend fifteen or twenty bucks on a track you've already written. So what I like to do is, as you're becoming friends with these directors and with these filmmakers, have a spot on your website or or give them instead of giving a business card with your information, give them some free royalty tracks. Mm-hmm. Give them some, uh, just opportunities. They want to use your work. They love your style. So. Why not give them links to um, your database, to your uh, to your music? And what's cool about Audio Jungle in particular is they have a referral program that if you send a link, you'll actually get uh, more of the percent than if Audio Jungle was to sell that for you. And there's other websites like that. Yeah. Uh, that's the that's the principle though. I'm a huge fan of Audio Jungle and, and the whole Envato thing. That's it's funny that they're Australian because I know you know the little audio watermark is like Envato, Envato, <laughs> yeah. and so I'm like, oh, that makes sense. AudioJungle.net or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's funny, man. Um, so for you, you put this stuff on. I, I, we we can pivot here in a second, but I'm really curious. You put this stuff on Audio Jungle. To me, it just seems so daunting because there's a lot of stuff on there to be found. What are some What are some ways that you can um, you put your stuff on there and just kind of uh, prevent against getting buried and all the other stuff? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's I've probably had, a tough code to crack. But if you've had, I've had that problem a lot, um, and I've been with them I think for seven or eight years. That's actually my very first income from music is from audio jungle. Wow. And it has been about the same dollar amount every month since the beginning. Okay. Which is gotcha. very odd. You think is, that it would increase odd. with time, yeah. but, and I'll be completely honest because my mindset is I don't want to curate it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend hours and hours and hours. Perhaps if I hire an assistant one day, that would be one of their tasks. And sure. I've really thought about that. Um, maybe that would pay for itself, you know? Right. Um, but the idea with with any marketplace is there comes a point where it becomes flooded. It becomes oversaturated with bad content, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good content in there. And they have really high quality standards that you have to meet to even get your music in there. Right. Um, so to not be buried, yes, you have to spend some time. Um, so about one hour every two or three months. That's it. 
I will go through and I will remove anything that's not relevant anymore. Okay. Anything that sounds too dated. And then I'll add another five or so tracks. Gotcha. So I basically keep something between a 60 to 80 track catalog at all times. Mm-hmm. I'm slowly updating it with my best work that is sellable in that format. Because you, in order to sell your music in those places, it can't be music you've written for other projects. Mm-hmm. It has to be, in my case, because I want the, the higher percentage, it's exclusive music. Um, so it just means I'm not selling that music anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And so I do write for other libraries that are specifically for TV and for promos and for that kind of thing, movie trailers. So I can't use that music. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have to actually write dedicated music. So it's just another time thing. Um, of, of making sure you, you put the time aside. But starting off, um, if you don't want to be buried, then you need to have at least 20 plus tracks. Wow. Um, how, how often, what, what is your typical track per month, track per week? Like how often are you composing new music? For stock music or just in general? Uh, for stock music and then we can go to in general. Yeah, um, stock music, not very much. Mm-hmm. Um, not because it's not a good income stream, but because it's you have to be unbelievably uh, dedicated to being one of the top one percent. Gotcha. It's it's a it's a it's an interesting business model where the people who, I mean it makes sense the people who put the most time into it get the best return, mm-hmm. but it, it's exponential return, not a logarithmic return. Got it. So it's not like oh I put twenty tracks I should get twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. No, it's like you put a, a thousand tracks you get a million bucks. Right. It's like a, uh, it's not a one-to-one ratio whatsoever. So the people who are on top, they dominate. It's like the same five people every month because there's a lot of cross-pollination going on Mm -hmm. where the video hive, for example, those creators, they'll come in, they'll create videos and then they want to actually use music on their demo products. So they'll Mm -hmm. use the tracks with the, you know, in Vato, with the mark on it and they'll just go and borrow it from one of the top five guys because they know they're the top five guys. Sure. It's a, it's a self-perpetuating um, uh, business for them, which yeah, is great. Totally get it. But you have to be 100% sold out. So um, I've, I've looked into those authors, and all of them, maybe with the exception of one or two, um, they're, they're full-time audio jungle authors. Wow. That's what they do. They write music. They write another one or two tracks every day. Wow. That's kind of like a full-time like YouTube creator. That's like when you start becoming that, you have to make videos either daily or, you know, every other day. It's like your, it's like your full-time gig. It's absolutely like that. And so I have, there've been seasons of my life where I don't have as much work coming from the other avenues. So yeah, I'll sit down for a month and I'll write 20 new tracks. Wow. That's That's very possible and that's what i love about the music industry is there are literally opportunities everywhere mm-hmm. and it costs you nothing mm-hmm. uh, just grab an instrument and play something i mean it's that simple and what happens is you get used to the formula after a, a certain time of what uh video creators actually need for their mm-hmm. projects and you right. get really good at creating multiple versions of the same track mm-hmm. that was usable and that's probably the biggest trap i fell into early on because i wrote great music and you know, I had my ego and I thought, but why isn't anybody buying it? This would work perfectly in this video. Right. But I started to work more and more in the film industry and commercial industry. I learned more that you don't want your music to overpower the vocals or like dialogue. You don't want your sure. um, the melody to be so in your face mm-hmm. for certain types of music. So as I got more into the advertising side of things, I learned, oh, wait, you really can just do basic pop chords with a, a happy jingle and some whistles and a little guitar, right. a little mandolin. There, there are certain stereotypes for a reason. Mm-hmm. So Ukulele. <laughs> yeah. So if I'm feeling overwhelmed for my other projects, mm-hmm. um, it's good every once in a while, maybe once a month or so, just to take a day off and just to write stock music. Because mm-hmm. there's something really releasing about it. If I have a bunch of bent up uh, creativity that I need to get out, mm-hmm. And I can just make some stuff that I know fits within a nice little shiny formula that's right. 30 seconds or a minute long. Sure. And you can feel really productive on those days that you don't like the whole writer's block deal. Mm-hmm. I think it's real. Um, but I think there are a lot of 
creative and productive ways to use your time. Definitely. You're, you're feeling like, I don't know how to write this one piece of music for this one important theme. Mm-hmm. Okay, then just go write a bunch of stock music. You'll get some creativity out. Absolutely. And more than likely, while doing something else anyway that is productive, you're going to kind of refresh yourself and be ready for the actual project. Absolutely. I'm curious. Um, so so you, just to conclude, you would recommend get the passive income streams up if possible. Like, let's say I want to be in your position, which, spoiler alert, I kind of do because it seems like <laughs> you got it made. Um, I'll, not to say you don't work your butt off, which I'm sure you do, um, but I would love to to be making music full time like you're doing. Um, so you would me- recommend the audio jungle because I what I have done is I, I've done a lot of um, I play acoustic guitar and sing and so and, and piano as well. So I've done a lot of weddings. Um, I watched your video about uh income streams and you talked about get weddings you know parties gigs stuff like that that has honestly big been my biggest income stream but i recognize that it's not scalable uh like i'm still trading time for dollars which you know i i can tell you're that you you know a little bit about business and passive income so i can talk this language with you is eventually that gets to a point where it becomes a dead end like you said um so so you would so just to reiterate you would say attack the passive income streams if possible and audio jungle is a good route to do that yes um that would be the starting point mm-hmm. and what's so cool about being a musician in general is you're always making music sure. so as, as you're always capturing through video or through audio recordings you can always sell them in some way monetize everything you can mm-hmm. and it becomes a passive income stream that's usable and it funds you to do to either free up your time to do more things that you want to do, mm-hmm. or it just pays the way for the new gear that you need sure. to do those. Um, but I think on the other side of passive income um, is education. And I think more so than ever in the history of the world, let alone America, um, education is actually, the, I believe, the second biggest industry in the world. Wow. So it's, it's where everyone puts their money. Mm-hmm. So having a course, yes. having a... A PDF that people can buy, having an ebook, having um, podcast, having whatever, right? Having something that is tangible, that is a product mm-hmm. that people can buy from a an e-store, an online store, where you don't have to do anything after the first initial product launch. Mm-hmm. You have to you know, maybe maintain it like an hour a year, something sure. very, very minimal, right. but very scalable. Yes. And so one of my big passion projects right now through Udemy. I'm working on my second course, mm-hmm. which is geared specifically towards video game music instead of video games, TV, and film. Um, and it goes a lot deeper because a lot of students have been asking to go deeper, saying that basics were not enough. So here I am. The the market is screaming for more mm-hmm. and willing to pay for it. And that is extremely scalable. Yes. And it takes you know three to five months to actually make one of these courses. It's a huge amount of time investment. Absolutely. But once and it pays for itself not just for a year but literally forever until that technology ceases to exist or that knowledge is no longer valuable Mm -hmm. so that's if there's any way that you have a specialized specialization um, in education um, and it could be as a musician it could be your instrument it could be your your particular spin on how to teach that instrument or how to learn music Mm -hmm. there's so many cool ways yeah that you can still monetize it. And I think that is even more scalable than the music side because of the oversaturation. Mm-hmm. Do you ever struggle with imposter syndrome? Do you know what that is? I've heard of that. What do you mean by that? So I struggle with this a lot, man, because there are so many ideas that I have for making a course or making something monetizable, but there's this deep fear. So what imposter syndrome is, is it is this idea that you're going to be exposed as a fraud, that you do not know what you're doing. And Apparently, I've done research on this. CEOs struggle with this. Uh, famous actors, Tom Hanks, struggles with this, where he he seriously thinks that he's not good enough every time he starts a movie. And he's just like, I'm just going to get exposed. And I can't help but think there's this fear, right? Um, and this goes deeper than just any particular skill. It's like a deeper fear that I, I didn't go to music school, so I'm going to be exposed as oh no you said this wrong it's a flat seven it's not a seven you're a liar and a fraud you should go die you know that kind of thing there's this sense of um uh, that people are going to expose you as a fraud even though even if it's all in your head and that you know and i and i'm to be honest that stopped me from doing a lot of 
courses, stuff, uh, pursuing business that I want to do in the music industry. Um, so I'm just curious if you ever struggle with that or, uh, maybe how you overcome that. And if, and, and if, and if you haven't struggled with it, do you think it's possible for, uh, someone who like me hasn't gone to music school, uh, to do something like this and how you might overcome those, those fears? Absolutely. I, I believe it's real. I've seen it in others. I've seen fear stop people from doing what they could do and be successful at. Um, I think ultimately there's a line that has to be drawn between sharing from your own experience and perspective and being authentic and honest about where you actually are and acknowledging that there are always people that are better than you, more talented than you, more experienced than you, but don't let that stop you from sharing where you are. Mm -hmm. And that's what I see stops people is perhaps you didn't go to music school or you didn't, um, you didn't have the best training. You didn't have the official education, whatever. You don't have the best gear. So you feel like you're inadequate to share from your experiences. But ultimately, look, look at YouTube. We keep talking about it, how the reason it's blown up is because it's authentic. It's just people being real about their life experience. And I think the reason that my course has been so successful so far is not because I know everything. It's just because it's my particular presentation on the knowledge that I've acquired. It's, it's the path that I've carved. It doesn't make it the right way or the way that anyone else can even duplicate, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think the most valuable thing is for us to share exactly, uh, to be authentic and honest with where we've come from and where we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that makes a lot of sense. I, I've heard it said um, that there's, when it comes to content creation, there's the Gandalf, which is sort of the, and for the Tolkien references, there's the Gandalf. That is, uh, I'm the master, I've seen it all, and I'm now imparting my wisdom to you, right? Um, and that would be like the, probably the Rick Beato, right? You know, the dude's been in, the, he's been in the industry for so long, and he's got the authority to speak on these things with authority. And of course, we disagree at, on certain points, but that's the beauty of, of uh, you know, the, the internet and, and whatnot. But, and then there's the other thing, which is Frodo, right? Which is kind of like, I'm on this journey with you, you know, and I think... That to me has been the most helpful, just reminding myself, hey, I'm not trying to be Gandalf here. I'm trying to be Frodo. I'm trying to tell these people, hey, this is where I'm at. You know, let me show you what I've learned and maybe you can come along this journey with me kind of thing. Um, I'm really interested to know about your process. Well, there's, I'm interested in many things. Um, I want to know about your process for creating this course. I want to know, like, uh, logistically, how did you do it? Did you know, did you always know you wanted to do a course? Was there a demand from your audience to do a course? Did you build an audience first or did the audience come after? And kind of was it, uh, how, how, how have the numbers been? How's the success been? Is it greater than your expectations, less? I'm just super curious about all these things. Yeah, uh, course creation was something I never sought out to do. Rather, it was about two years ago when I was in a bit of a drought, so to speak, musically. It was right in the middle of the summer, which traditionally um, is when there's not a lot of projects. People are on vacations. They're they're taking hiatus from their own film production or game production. And I was in this two or three month span where I was almost broke. It was crazy. I had such a successful year so far and then all of a sudden nothing. Mm. And I, I see that trend a lot. And the more and the longer I'm in this industry, the more I realize you have to start planning more annually instead of month by month. Anyone who lives paycheck to paycheck, it's not a great system because no. there come a day where you don't get a paycheck. Right, right. Um, there's some months, it's famine and feast. Especially um, in the freelance world. It's, it's if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to get used to that idea of saving and planning ahead instead of relying on the, the momentary. Um, but the whole course idea, it came from this, um, I don't want to say desperation, but this almost this, this fire, this fuel that I got to find work. And if I can't find it right now, if people aren't reaching out right now, then I have to make something. I have to do something. Yeah. And that's about the time that I was really getting uh, just learning a lot from business about um, passive income streams and what that looks like and, and how useful that can be in building this uh, this foundation to to go from um, to help you in your other ways. So during that time. I just started researching and found these stats about education being this such a, a hot item. Um, and it's funny because I found Udemy, um, which for those who aren't aware with that, it's Academy with a U, U-D-Y. Um, 
and it's a website that's geared towards course creation. But what was special about it is there it's long form courses. So it's like 50 videos, a hundred videos, it's five plus hours worth of content. Mm. And I had been up to this point already doing a lot of YouTube videos, instructional things on music business and, and music creation and composition. So I figured, you know what? I wonder if I could polish this up a bit and, and package it a little bit differently yeah. if there's more audience for this. Yeah. And with any good business idea, you should always look at where the need is and look at the demand is, not just if it's a good idea or not. It really has to be something that monetarily, it, it's something that's going to work. Mm-hmm. So I, I started looking into it and then I realized there is no competition why is there why is there no course on this 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 is something that 10 years ago when i was in high school trying to learn this stuff this would have changed my life mm-hmm. it's been unbelievably useful yeah. i had to go to college to ask an academic classical professor how to write music yeah. how to write for film he had no idea he taught me a lot of stuff about composition but he he even admitted he's like i know nothing about film i know nothing about games i had to go get a masters in not even film scoring, but technically music composition for the screen, which was film, TV, and games. Um, I had to go to that level of education and move to a different city and all this, um, pay a lot of money to get education, to get little snippets from mentors and from masters. And then one more step, I had to move out to, to LA for a very small period of time as part of that school program, just for the summer, got to work with, uh, some of my heroes, um, in the, the game industry and just picking their brains and having great conversations with them is is kind of this whole culmination of all this knowledge it took me 10 years to get mm-hmm. by just working my butt off to to learn yeah and now i'm trying to package this all into one little um course mm-hmm. uh, so that was kind of the motivation as i had all this knowledge that what if that was the question what if this is available yeah. to more well, what could this do, not sure. only for the industry, but for the individuals who have absolutely no access to this? Mm-hmm. Because if you look online, even on YouTube, the, the information is incredibly small. Yeah. And uh, most of it is not accurate or it's not um, presented in a way that's actually engaging or interesting or helpful. And it's scattered all over the place. It's like that's that's another appeal of courses is. is for me, I've taken lots of online courses and it's like, could I do a bunch of research and find all this? Probably, but I, I'm paying you to do that. You know, that kind of thing. Like I want all this in one spot so that I can just, uh, like I have a roadmap to success kind of thing. Now, did you, I think that's really cool. This is really, this is, this is all so inspiring. Did you, um, did you have an audience, like an email list or a Facebook following before you launched the course? Or did you launch the course and the audience kind of came to you after that? A little bit of both. Okay. More so second side. Um, I had a small email list at that time, small Facebook following, et cetera. Um, how, much, how many people, uh, if you don't mind me asking, on uh, your wait, email list? Really, really low numbers. Less than 100. Gotcha. Uh, very low numbers. Um, and so even with there's some fun stats about email this day these days, I think it's something like a five percent or ten percent click through rate now mm-hmm. for the the most avid of email marketers who do it every day. Um, so even if I had a hundred people, one technically, you know, between five and ten or whatever, may have even clicked it, let right. alone it. Yeah, right. Um, so I don't maybe one or two came from that, a few from word of mouth. So when I started, I maybe got like five sales, 10 sales. Gotcha. Um, and so at the very beginning, I was actually still happy about it. Cause like, wow, someone actually wants to pay me to learn this stuff. Yeah. Um, I bet you that first sale was such a great feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And actually they were, uh, some of my piano students that wanted to do it. That's really cool. My private lessons. Cause they were interested in composition and like, I'm like, Hey, this is perfect. This is, and that's actually, uh, that's another reason that, uh, I created this course and started to do more courses. Um, people have a lot of questions and mm. I love teaching, but I hate answering the same question over and over and over again yeah. and not having a database, not having a resource that's like the defined, you know, the you, definitive. You point them, yeah, you point them right there and they yeah, just sorry. anybody who learns yep. or anybody who asks can learn right there. Yeah. So Udemy is actually, I keep, you know, giving them praise and they, they need to be praised and more people need to check them out because it's pretty incredible what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they are actually on par with Google as far as search results go. The reason I chose wow. them versus some of the other, like Teachable and some of the other um, online platforms, 
they have the same search ranking as YouTube and as Google. So what that means is if you type in any of the keywords for a Udemy course, it will be number one on Google when you search. Wow. And so if highly optimized for search. And if you get extremely smart and you already have a YouTube following as I do, start putting preview videos of your Udemy and that way when they search Google, they'll see the Udemy course, they'll see the YouTube and then they'll see your website. Wow. So type in any combo of the words. And if you get really, really smart and you do a, just a little bit of SEO, search engine optimization, um, you can actually go to Udemy and open up a, an incognito window within Chrome or Safari, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you can start slowly typing in uh, key letters and key words and it'll show you all the search results yep. of what comes up. And so you can do that with your videos and that's why the course we're talking about is it has the, the lamest title of all time, film, TV, and video game, music composition, and production basics. You know, it's right. it's super SEO, but it works. Mm -hmm. And uh, so far, the success of it has been beyond my wildest dreams. Um, and it's continuing to climb exponentially, not logarithmic. So it's not a one-to-one. -one. Mm -hmm. um, I think yesterday, I got something like 20-something new students. That's um, awesome. It, it's like, it increases every single day. Um, and awesome. it's been a pretty wild ride. And so I know that there's a demand now um, people again, people are asking for something beyond the basic level. I wanted to just get people introduced to the idea. Mm -hmm. um, and I've learned so much throughout the process because it's been, um, I knew nothing about course creation. I just knew, I knew how to teach. I know how to captivate an audience, but with resources, with like tangible products, it's a completely different story. It needs to be really high quality. And I'll be honest that I'm, I'm really happy with my first course, but looking back on it now, almost two years later, I, there's a very clear um, quality difference of what I am now capable of doing. And now I know the process. And I know the, the, how the whole thing works. Mm -hmm. uh, so now I know that my next course is going to be significantly better. And I'm hoping we'll have more of a, I guess, cross-pollination effect, which is what you should do with your products and services. Sure. They should always cross-pollinate. Mm -hmm. So if someone comes to my website looking for... I don't know. They want. They're looking for a composer for their video game. They, and they, they but they really needed a ranger, mm -hmm. or they. And then their sister's having a wedding next week. Oh wow, he also performs. Oh mm -hmm. oh, he also sells music. Oh hey, I actually have a ten dollar budget. What if I just go to his audio jungle and buy a license trip? I can't tell you the number of times that people have come to me for one thing and left a completely different way. Wow. Or they they find me in the weirdest ways. Mm -hmm. But that's why. Um, if I were to summarize the whole business aspect, there's a lot of topics, obviously, but the the number one thing I like to recommend is to have one unified presence mm -hmm. in your online, um, just the way that the way that you are perceived. So if someone sees you on Instagram, it should be geared towards Instagram, and it should have the content in the media. Gary Vaynerchuk, if you've read his books, mm -hmm. uh, he's really big on this idea of really. Um, making your content speak micro content that speaks to the platform itself right so if someone finds you on instagram which real life example a couple months ago um a uh, a brass duo so uh two brass players who play video game music they found me on instagram and they said we really like your stuff and what do i post on instagram like me playing piano and me arranging things right mm -hmm. arranging heavy actually so people see me on there and then they said hey we have, we're doing a live performance. We're doing these kind of things. Can you take your arranging chops and mix it with your composition? And can you write us some specialized video game music using electronica, doing these remix kind of things? So now I have a project doing that, a really big project, which has been a cool thing. Been working on for several months. That's awesome. That came from Instagram, you know? But on the other side, um, people find me through YouTube, more instructional videos, and they might find me there and realize, oh, he, he writes music. So now they hire me for that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then finding me through Google, just through website, just SEO kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then Facebook, if they're looking um, maybe on the performing side. So to sum it up, it's important that if you're going to do multiple things like this and have multiple income streams, then you need to make sure that you have a funnel effect mm -hmm. where you have one place, it should be your website, one place that pulls like a magnet all of the little um, 
all the little the the arms, so to speak. They all pull back to one place right. so that when finally visit there, there should they should leave basically buying something or they right. should leave taking the next step of asking the questions because they now see what all you do. Absolutely. Yeah. You're totally speaking my language with funnels because in marketing, that's, that's kind of all we talk about. You know, we talk about the, the interest funnel, kind of the, uh, we call it the educate funnel where they're wanting to know a little bit more about you. And then the action funnel where they, they buy something eventually. So it's all about, it's all about funnels. Life is just funnels. Uh, <laughs> I could talk about that yeah. for a while, but I want to, we're, we're creeping up here on the, it's almost your hard stop. I want to ask you with all these things, how do you calendar your week? I mean, I imagine you must have to be really disciplined. Yep. And I, growing up, hated calendars. I hated schedules. And I have become a type A person out of necessity. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of reminders and mm -hmm. a big fan of notes. Mm -hmm. So Evernote is my favorite app and Wonderlist is my favorite app. Um, I use these on all devices um, at any point in the day. So if I have a thought that pops into my head, I write it down. Hmm. If it's a musical idea, I write it down. Voice memos is also a really good love one. Voice memos, best um, app ever. <laughs> love it. Um, Evernote is so clever because you can sort your notes by folders. And so I have my schedule in there. I have a calendar app. I have um, anything to be organized, honestly. So in my brain, I think of the calendar as like my macro map. So what I tried to do is only have basically one big project at a time that is on a, a calendar date. Gotcha. I might have, um, might have smaller projects that, that I will actually work on in the meantime, but I set very, very hard deadlines for myself so that if I accidentally go beyond that point, no one gets affected. Mm -hmm. So if I have a project that like right now I have, I have with the, the brass duo, I have a track that is due December 29th mm -hmm. and I'll probably have it done next week um, because I set, I set um, the worst case scenario in all of my calendar, mm. my deadlines. I always do worst case scenario. Um, I don't get to it for weeks because everything else gets behind. And that way I'm never, I'm always over delivering right. and never promising. Yeah. I'm a big fan of of telling people what my hard deadline is, um, and I never get pushback on that. Actually, it has actually only allowed time for more projects and for more work. Um, so I always push things out about twice the distance I think it'll actually take me, because mm -hmm. most people are terrible with time, it's and true. creators are the worst with time. Yes, we are. Times we want to try multiple variations of something mm -hmm. instead of just doing it once. So you should never quote someone for time that takes you one quote for three quote sure, for four sure uh, and it's then like you have to add 20 percent. yeah oh i i would add 50 percent at least yeah um you just you have to cushion for that time so that, that's like the macro view and then the micro view for me i schedule every day in advance mm -hmm. uh, an unplanned day is an unproductive day there's yeah. no such thing as, as a day that you can like who goes to work and doesn't know what they're going to do a lot um, of people and they, they don't and they don't get anything done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't waste time. I hate wasting time. I love I love to play. I love to relax and I love family. I love um hanging out with people, but I also love to work and mm -hmm. I don't like wasting time. Um so I literally have every hour of every day scheduled. That's awesome. It sounds ridiculous, but if you talk to CEOs, you talk to really successful business people, they have every minute scheduled. Mm-hmm. Um, I have every minute of relaxation planned. I have every, every minute of sleeping planned, mm -hmm. of exercise planned, of eating planned. And it sounds ridiculous, but it's amazing uh, I, just how much time there actually is if you mm -hmm. just write it down. Yeah. And it, it puts everything in its proper place. So whenever I get a new project, um, I always look at my schedule and I immediately put it on, on a date immediately put it within a certain block of time mm -hmm. um, because priorities, we like to throw out that word in our culture, that that word um, is really reflected in what um, your schedule says. Sure. It's, that's um, absolutely so true. If it's not in your calendar, it's not a priority to you. So if, if I tell my clients, I will have this done by X date, I want to over deliver, mm -hmm. um, I'm actually going to make my own dates a much, much sooner. Right. Um, so 
can always uh, be on top of that. And that's how you, you get happy clients that they want to work with you because they know you're, you're going to over deliver, you know, um, and it just makes them really happy. This has been such an inspiring talk, man, for me personally. And I guarantee anyone who watches this, it's 958. I want to be respectful. Do you have any final closing thoughts for someone who wants to be in your position doing multiple things in music to make it full time? Work, <laughs> work hard. Uh, be a person of integrity who um, work on the projects you want to work on. It's okay to be selective. It's okay mm -hmm. to say no. Mm -hmm. um, early in my career, I said no to nothing and it destroyed my life. Um, it took several years of me saying, learning to say no, that that's when you get a really healthy balance and people respect you more and they will respect your time more. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's okay to be choosy. Um, and I think with these, you know, income passive streams, it's a great way to allow yourself to be able to say no more because you don't need it. People say yes to everything when they need everything. Right. Um, but if you want to carve a clear path that leads you to where you want to go, set the goal, and then work. It's like building uh, building the Great Wall of China, right? You do a little bit every day. Sure. So I believe in setting big goals, dream big, but then back it up and actually put a, an action plan in place. So Absolutely. if you're going to make a course – set the due date, put it six months from now, and then carve it up and look at your weeks and look at, okay, I'm going to put three hours a day mm -hmm. and find what the smallest unit of measurement is and then be proactive on that. Mm -hmm. I think the more that you start practicing that, there will be days where you fail. So don't do anything unrealistic. Mm -hmm. If you know that you can't do three hours a day, then maybe put an hour a day mm -hmm. or put an hour every other day. You know, work within your own limitations, but um, I think that's, that's how we, um, increase our capacity mm -hmm. to do more and to do more intentionally is a result of, uh, good planning. Mm -hmm. That is fantastic, man. Thank you so much for letting me interview you. This is going to be so valuable to everyone who watches me included me most of all. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, man, I'm, I'll be looking forward to your YouTube video. And once I get my Christmas bonus, I'm buying your course. Ah, I appreciate it, man. <laughs> all right, well, you man. have. Day. Thanks for taking the time. You got it. Thanks, bud. Look forward to seeing it. All right. Bye.